0: So we're going to continue on in the Advent calendar today, verses 5 and 6, 1 Timothy 2. If you don't mind, I actually want to start in verse 4. I think it it, it helps a lot with this passage. And it says this, starting in verse 4. Who, talking about God, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? For... There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. So we're talking about the mediator, mediator, uh, uh, a person Interceding in order to bring two parties together. You actually see the word mediator six times in the New Testament. Today, here, we'll be talking about Jesus being the mediator between a holy God and sinful humanity. So let's break it down. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 through 6. So this is written from Paul to Timothy in a relationship of a mediator or a a mentor to a a mentor. And we see in verse 4, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. See, God wants all people to be saved, but knows that some people will not. In the context of this section, Paul, the author of the letter, is hitting back against the teachings of false teachers who don't see the importance of evangelizing to Gentiles. Paul is showing God's love to mankind in general, saying we should be praying that all people, all people come to the knowledge of the truth. That means we pray that all people come to knowing, to understanding, and treasuring the key truth in order to be transformed and renewed. Now, here at Living Truth, uh, many people know me as a Patriots fan, and, oh, I heard, I heard that snicker. <laughs> oh, hey, whoa, 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 hey, in Jesus' name, right, <laughs> we're brothers and sisters here, please. Now, but it's funny, because, man, we, we pray for, for all people. <laughs> I did not, no, like, but for real, we pray for all people. Now, there's people on the staff who, who are Steelers fans, and I know some of you. There we go. But it's one of these things. We pray for all people. And I'm not just talking about those who are, are, are against our favorite sports team. I'm not talking about we pray for those who are our favorite neighbors. I'm talking about we pray for all people. Maybe it's that neighbor who doesn't maintain their lawn that you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Maybe it's the person that cuts you off on the 91. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> He's talking about praying for all people. In this section, actually, before, he talks about praying for those who are on high positions, praying for kings. Maybe you don't hold the same political view as our president, but do you pray for him? Paul's saying we should. Paul's saying we should pray for all people. Why? Because God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, understanding who Jesus is, knowing that some will not treasure him. But I love this. Uh, Working in the youth, um, we got some, like, to be honest, we got some very, very smart students here. Very smart students. I I enjoy spending time, uh, Wednesday nights we do kind of more small groups and and parents, I'm sorry, uh, sometimes we run really late, like 9 o'clock, 9.15 in groups, but our students love these times. And, and what is amazing about these times is that we're, we're creating a place for our students to be real with God, to be honest with themselves, but open with others. As we understand more of who God is and what Jesus has done, is transforming our students. And it, it, it's, it's interesting. We were talking about being in arguments with other people, and, and whether it's at home, whether it's at school, whether it's at work, whether it's just hanging out with friends, and one of our students, he's a, a, a senior, actually goes, yeah, when I get in an argument with someone at school, I actually just invite them to midweek service. And, and I was like, wait, say that again? And, and the student says, yeah, you know, it, it's a place for them to come because for some reason we're not seeing the same thing at the same point, in the same way. And, and they, may, they may be, I may be coming from a wrong view. There may be hurt on his part or, or, or my part, but, but I want to help him, And I know this is a place that I can help them, and we're going to pray together. I mean, this is a high school student. A high school student saying this. Understanding who God is. Going back into the verse four, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. See, there is one holy, righteous, sacred, divine God. The word "for" there, co- connecting the theological core as to why God wants people to be saved. And then he goes four, there is one God. Even though we live in a world where some have many gods, many people think there are many gods, there is only one God, the God of the Bible. And there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. See, there is one way to God, and his name is Jesus, God's incarnated son, Israel's Messiah, the one and only means to redemption. And I love this. I love the fact that there is one mediator. His name is Jesus. It's not Pastor Michael. It's not Grandma Sue. It's not Billy Bob. It's not a human. It's not a saint. It's not a a humanly priest. You don't need me to go to God. I don't need you to go to God. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. And see, for me, that was such a hard thing at times to understand. I grew up going to church. I remember, how many of you guys remember flannel graphs? Some of you guys are like, oh man, I am 30. It's okay. I may look young, but hey, I know I'm not. Uh, It's one of these things. I remember hearing the Bible stories. I remember going to vacation Bible school. I remember going to junior high, winter camp, and summer camp, and same as high school. I remember having to read the little memory verses. It gave me a good view of who God is. My view of Jesus was skewed. I thought because of the things I have thought, the actions that I have done, the words that I have said, this holy divine God was not something I could grasp. This Jesus yeah, I know he died on the cross for my sins. I know that, but... But you saying that's payment enough? Like that, that really covers the weight of my sins? See, the only redemption of man that brings connection back to God is Jesus. Verse 5, we see this. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man. Christ Jesus, so so going into this, I see three things. Jesus is exclusive in who He is. He is fully able to identify with God. Hebrews one one. I love Hebrews long ago and many times and in many ways. Hebrews one says this: God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. He's talking in the Old Testament, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, in which God has spoken finally and faithfully in the Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. He's talking about creation, all of creation. Through whom also he created the world. He's talking about Jesus being the preexistent, the, the all-authority, all-powerful, the deity, is clearly being displayed in this. So as Jesus is exclusive in who he is, being fully able to identify with God, he is also fully able to identify with man. Continue on in, in Hebrews, verse 4, 15. For do we not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Whoo! How good is that? Hebrews 12 talks about how Jesus is the forerunner forerunner like the car blazing the trail and he faithfully faithfully without blemish without blemish lived the perfect life and for the joy set before him he endured the cross How amazing is that? That the Jesus who is exclusive in who he is, being able to fully identify as God and being able to fully identify with man, two things, 100%, 100% uh, God, 100% man. I truthfully don't understand how that actually works. Inevitable tension, something that I continually wrestle with. How can he be a fully 100% God and 100% man? Scripture points to both of them. I don't know, but I love it. I pray we all love it. He has to be to be our mediator. But see, as Jesus is exclusive in who he is, Jesus is also exclusive in what he has done. See, man, us, we alone owe the punishment of sin, of our sin. We have all worshipped something other than God. Best way to find out what that is, ask these questions what do you chase when you're alone? What defines you? What gives you ultimate worth? And if taken away, what gives you ultimate hurt? See, that is our God. That is your God. See, we've all sacrificed deep joys for shallow moments of contentment. It's like seeing, imagine me being at the beach in a kiddie pool. Being so content that you see me in this little kiddie pool that I got at Walmart, filled with water, going, man, isn't this awesome? And you're looking at me going, Matt, you are a complete idiot. (laughs) Look at where you're at. Look at the ocean. Look at how grand this is. That you yourself so captivated in the awe. And yet, how many times do we do that? We think a relationship, a possession, something that we can own, a job, can bring us ultimate satisfaction, ultimate joy, ultimate happiness. But see, as Jesus is exclusive in what he has done, that we owe the punishment for our sins, God And God alone is the only one that could pay for the price of our sin. If you don't, Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. I love this. But God, the biggest but in the Bible, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, not just bad, but dead dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Oof, by grace you have been saved. How is that? By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches. What type of riches? Immeasurable. Riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Here we go, ready? I love this. I need this reminder daily. Some days, a hundred times. Verse eight, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. (sighs) How good is that news? See, as we see the, the exclusivity of who Jesus is and what he has done, man, there's something even greater. Jesus is exclusive in what he is doing now. Verse 5 and 6 of 1 Timothy 2. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the payment in full, the check did not bounce, paid in full, which is the testimony given at the proper time. See, Jesus is exclusive in what he has done and what now he is doing. See, he lives, key word, lives as our mediator. He is seated at the right hand of God, interceding, intervening, making us able to reconcile to God. See, and as we talk about the exclusivity of who Jesus is, what he has done, what he is doing, I have to be honest with you. I have to talk about a personal fear. I've gone to camps. I've been around youth for so long. I've talked to parents. One of my biggest fears is that we can know all this information and intellectually understand who Jesus is, but we've never actually been affected by him. How many of us have heard that Jesus died on the cross, but how many of us has that take ownership of our lives? How many have called him Savior, but don't call him Lord? I got, I got a couple of fears working in the church. One, someone walks in, and as they walk in, this is their last resort. Seems more and more I hear about stories of people taking the last resort. But someone comes in here, And they're literally looking for for anyone just to reach out, and they come in, and no one even says hello to them. One of my biggest fears. I ask you today, if you're here, and that's you, please do not leave. You are loved, you are valued, you are cared more than you could ever imagine. There is a thousand people here that would love to talk to you, that would love to share love with you. The other fear is that that we've sat in in church pews. I'm 30 years old. I didn't come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior until I was about 22. The, The church that I was at before, they had pictures in the nursery of little old Matthew. I spent 22 years of my life knowing a lot about Jesus, but never treasuring him. Until a day where a student, yes, a student, prayed a prayer that I was helping at an event. Saying, God, I push you away daily. You still want to hold me. God, I spit in your face daily, yet you still love me. And it was in that moment that I realized, God, you've been pouring out your love. This holy, divine God had sent his son to die for me. To shed his blood for me. And through people in the church, people that loved me, that cared for me when I was being an idiot and running from him, but yet running to them because, man, I could could understand them. They could relate to me. They were instruments of God's grace and mercy on my life. And it was because of people like them as examples of Christ, I finally understood who he was. Who he is. That's the reason why I rejoice. That's why I sing holy, holy, holy. See, because of what Jesus has done, and with the necessity of his blood, we can experience my favorite word, the joy of redemption in the connection with God. If you don't mind, turn to Hebrews, uh, go, go to the right, and go to Hebrews 9, verses 15, 15 through uh, 22. We're going to be sitting there for just a little bit. Hebrews 9, verse 15 says this. In the ESV it says this. Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Verse 16, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since... It is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first commandment was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Verse 22, indeed, oof, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. See, we can't miss kind of what was going on before in verses 11 and 14. It, it talks about the old covenant. And there's two big things we got to see about this. In in all of this section, the Old Covenant could only give limited access to God. There was one priest who who was appointed by God that could go one time a year into the Holy of Holies. And he had to perform certain tasks, and he had to have certain clothes on. On his clothes, he had belts. Bells around the ankles, and, and he would continually move, and there would be a rope on his foot. I mean, this is the holy of holies in the tabernacle. And if he did anything wrong, they would stop hearing the bells move, and they would literally have to drag him out, pull him by his ankle. See, so this old covenant that could only give limited access to God, and those sacrifices only had a limited effect. They never had the ability to pay for our sins. And what I mean by that is while animal sacrifices served as temporary sacrifices for human sins during the Old Testament era, they could never ultimately compensate for humans. They don't purify our consciousness. But see, these old sacrifices had a glorious purpose to foreshadow a substitute, that being Jesus, whose blood would get the job done. See, see, I love this section, verse 14, how much more, talking about the greater of the two, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the internal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Paying the ransom, purifying our consciousness, not just covering us, but purifying our consciousness from dead works to serve the living God. See, the blood of Christ cleanses our consciousness, which allows us to draw near to God in worship and service forever. See, those who are faithful, trusted, and believe God would one day bring salvation to his people through the ultimate sacrifice. You continue on uh, as this idea, therefore he is the mediator, Jesus of the new covenant, the greater covenant, so that those who are called may may receive the promised eternal inheritance, being with Jesus, being with God in heaven, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first act. And I love how it continues on in verse 16. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. See, the writer is further developing in this letter. He tells us that for a will to be effective, a death must occur. See, will is transcribed in the Greek to covenant. And we actually see um, in here, to me, something amazing. Now, now the only time I ever hear of the word covenant, it's typically in the church setting or, or at weddings, I don't hear it when I'm you know, at a coffee shop and someone's like, oh yeah, let's make a covenant. And I'm like, what? Um, it, it's really only in, in certain settings. I went to five weddings this summer. Uh, one was Trent and Chloe, amazing wedding, great people Ooh. if you haven't met them. Oh, that's correct. Uh, other times, and, and what I love is at these weddings. These were people, m- most of them, who treasured Jesus. And in a, in a setting of a wedding, you know who it was like the main one talked about? God. That's why I love these people. Now, now as we talk about this, uh, I've heard that a covenant it means a promise. But in order for it to take effect, in order for, a will, uh, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. Someone has to die. In every culture, when they talk about a will, it's activated by the death of the one who made the will. So the death of Christ has always been the way for people to be saved, to be redeemed. When Christ died, it was retroactive, reaching all the way back to the Garden of Eden, but it's also proactive, paying for all the sins that have been committed in the future. And this was a non-negotiable agreement by God. See, the only way we get access and a relationship to him, to God, is through faith in the shedding of Christ's blood and it's because of the death and burial and resurrection of him so in order for those who are called going back to verse 15 those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance jesus had to die how does this happen it's always been through the shedding of christ's blood now now at second service my 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 parents are going to come and my grandpa is going to come and thank God they're not here for this story. Um, whenever my, uh, me, my dad, and my grandpa, we, we work a lot together, whether it's working on cars or houses or odd jobs, uh, the clomey boys, and there's a saying in the family, when the clomey boys are working together, someone is going to get hurt. Um, some of you families may have like that same similar story going on. Now, for me, uh, I remember when I was about 13, maybe 14 years old, we were working on a fence. And uh, we had to get rid of a fence because of some winds. Santa Ana winds, they're terrible. We, we had to take down a fence and put a new fence up. And, and so we took down the boards. And what happens? You got a, a, a board with nails poking out, right? <laughs> some of you guys know where this is going. Um, so imagine, like this is the wood and this is the nail. My dad told me, hey, what is the best way to do is put your foot on the board, kick the nail to the side, and it's going to lay down a little bit. Then roll your ankle to put the nail down flush with the board. Many of you parents think, like my dad, man, Matt, you're a smart kid. You know how to do this. Well, my dumb self at the age of 13, maybe 14, decide, all right, cool, I got this. And, and as I think I'm coming down to the sideways, I just step right on that nail. <laughs> and, and, and my dad was around the corner with me and my grandfather, and we kind of look at each other like, and you know what I mean by that, like, oh, this is not good. And like, I decide like, oh, maybe if I lift my foot up, it'll come off, but the board comes up and I'm like, oh, this is really not good. <laughs> and then me and, me and my grandfather has kind of a conversation of like, well, how bad could it be? Maybe we should take off the shoe. And we take off the shoe and the socks are bleeding. and we're like, oh, maybe, maybe we should really see how bad it is. And we take off the sock and like blood is coming out. I'm sorry if this is gro- gory, but, but like, it was disgusting. And, like, my dad walks around the corner, and he sees what's going on, and, like, he has that, like, <laughs> and, and no joke, my dad, I'll, I've always been a big boy, like, he, he literally picks me up, throws me over his shoulder, runs me through my parents' family room, through the kitchen, down the hall to the kitchen, or to the, to the bathroom, and immediately starts washing it, and, and cleaning it, and putting a bandage over it. Now, I, I look back at those times, and I wonder, you know, did my father when he saw that cut, go, this is my son. He's in pain, I need to help. him. I also think back, man, my mom just got brand new carpet, and if we drop (laughs) one thing of blood on that carpet, it is the end of the days for me. But see, it's crazy to think about how much my life would be in trouble if one drop of blood on my mother's new carpet was there. But to me, it's also, it's unbelievable to think about my life if I wasn't covered fully by the blood of Jesus. And see, we go into the kind of this last section, verses 18 through 22. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Blood was always part of the picture. For, well, for, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats, There's some things that he wants us to see. Blood first is mentioned six times throughout this passage. Whenever I've been told by by people a lot smarter, and there's a lot of people smarter than me, whenever you see a word mentioned multiple times, the author wants you to, to notice something. Forgiveness only came through blood. The blood of the old covenant could purify the flesh, but the blood of Christ is the one that could purify our consciousness. And two points I think the author wants us to see. First, he wants to emphasize the seriousness of sin. The Bible takes sin seriously, more than any other religious scripture. See, sin alienates us from God. Sin is rooted in our hearts of humanity and cannot be vindicated by any self-help program. And it's the only reason why we need the covering of Jesus' blood. It purifies our conscience. It cleanses us, all of us. I think of it, I think it was when, like, Nickelodeon was amazing, and they had the goo or the slime. Some of you older parents may know. I was one of those kids that wanted it because I saw it on TV. They, they dropped it, and it was kind of like a green, um, maybe, like, glue type of thing that when it would fall, it w- it wouldn't just like kind of hit and bounce off. No, it, it slowly, meticulously just covered every aspect of that person. But see, even in that, it didn't affect the inside of them. Jesus' blood does everything. It changes. It transforms us. See, the second thing is that the author wants us to understand is, is the immaculate cost of forgiveness. Verse 22, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. The cost of forgiveness. See, through faith in the power of the blood of Christ, we are welcomed into God's presence and the joy of internal inheritance. See, the wrath of God that Jesus took at Galgotha is something I can't imagine. I love this season. I think Shane, I, I think and Nathan, there's a lot of people that put uh, amazing work into doing this stage, and I love the Christmas season. I can't look forward to having the candlelight service. I can't wait till Christmas Day, but, but truth be told, my favorite service that I've ever been a part of is Good Friday. Like, I get goosebumps even saying it right now. What Jesus endured at Golgotha. And I'm not talking about the lashings. I'm not talking about carrying the cross. I'm talking about taking on the wrath of God. The punishment only he can endure. Me and Shane talk about it all the time. I want to be taken as far as I can into understanding what God did. What Jesus had to endure. But because of his death, we have life. Unlike the earthly high priest in the Old Testament who entered the tabernacle, that is God's dwelling place with Israel, our Lord Jesus enters the heavenly sanctuary, verse 24, to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him, in verse 24, 28, it says that. How good of news is that? That the blood of Christ, mind you, when I'm talking about that with, with the nail in my foot, this, this bloody image. See, the blood of Christ may be a stumbling block to someone who doesn't intimately know him. That gruesome imagery of being covered by the blood of Christ may be too much for some who never heard it as I look out here, I look at the hearts of those who know the depths of their sin and truly know how lost they are, how lost we are without Jesus, when we hear about the blood of Christ, this is amazing news because it means we treasure Jesus, the one who gave his life for us. And I think there's three types of groups that, that could be here today. One is a group who, who maybe you've heard this, this good news of Jesus for the first time. You've never heard this news before. Please do not leave without talking to someone about Jesus. After service, we're going to have elders, we're going to have pastors, we're going to have people here to pray for you, to talk to you. We'll get you into our firm foundation so you can know more about the truth of who Jesus is. There's another group. Man, when you have heard this information, you may have heard it a thousand times. But just like the first time you've heard it, you sit in awe of who God is. And when you hear his name, you say, holy, holy, holy my whole life god is all about you but then there also may be some people the third group we may have heard this a thousand times he may have been like me before who've heard this and we haven't let it affect our lives can't get down in front of you on my hands and knees, but I beg you, please do not leave here today without understanding, talking to someone, being prayed for, being prayed uh, for, literally anything that you need. We would love for you to know him intimately, to call him Lord and Savior and treasure him above all things. So Father, I pray here today. I pray that that we just simply come to an understanding of who you are. Lord, that you are exclusive in who you are, being fully God and fully man, something that my finite brain cannot comprehend, but I know it is true because your word says it. And Lord, I pray today as we understand more of who you are, Lord, we pray that, that we understand what you have done, that you lived the perfect life that no one can do other than you. And in your son, Jesus, he's done this, and he went to the cross. Why? He endured it because he knows the joy that will come, being our mediator, being the one that can reconcile us to you. And Lord, today, as he sits at your right hand, Lord, he intercedes for us. Lord, I pray today that we just treasure you above all. That when we think of you, the first word that comes to our mind is just awe. And even the word awe doesn't even come close to what we should be saying. So Lord, I pray for our hearts just to simply desire to you that you are the most important thing in our lives. When I pray those who, who, who simply are meeting you or knowing you for the first time, Lord, we rejoice with them. Lord, those who are seeking love, Lord, I pray today, they, they, they know your love, love that is like nothing else. Lord, let us continually to seek you, to know you more and more. And as we do, Lord, our lives are transformed that we can't help but shout your name. And the joy of just knowing you, knowing that you know our name intimately, that you know every aspect of our lives, not just our public life that everyone sees or our our, our personal life that maybe a wife or a husband or a parent or a best friend know, but you know our secret life. And the hardness and the the shame and guilt that we feel. You said, no, I died for that. I shed my blood for that. Don't be shameful. Don't be guilty. No, you are loved. You are valued. I care for you. Lord, help us to seek you more. Know you more. And treasure you more. For all glory is yours. In your name we pray. Amen.